ahead and be seated. If you have your Bible or have your Bible on your phone, you can go ahead and turn to Luke 18. Luke 18, I'll be there in just a moment. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful to be in your house. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that we are able to gather together and to dive into this word. I pray tonight that there will be liberty to preach and to say that which you have placed in my heart and in my soul. And I pray that you would help me to deliver that and nothing more and nothing less. That, that I would stay out of your way and that you would have your way and you would say what you want to say and that I would be silent and you would speak. Let hearts be open to the word which you have for us. It is alive, it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We give you praise in Jesus' name. You are good, God. You are good, and it is good to be in your house. Amen. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, and made some, they made some incredible movies out of his books. If you haven't seen them, you should. But one of my favorite books... In a book that I highly recommend is entitled Mere Christianity. And if you haven't read that book yet, it is an absolutely incredible book. I've read it two times, maybe even two and a half times, and I don't do that. So I just want to just uh, encourage you to read that. But anyway, there's this chapter in this book. And when I saw the title of the chapter the first time I read it, it just really stuck out. And it said, it was entitled The Great Sin, The Great Sin And it, it sparked my interest. And in, in, in this chapter, listen to what C.S. Lewis has to say. There's one vice, one evil that no man or woman in the world is free of. A vice that no person can stand when they see it in someone else. A vice that, unless you're a Christian, you've probably never accused yourself of this vice or this evil. There's no fault which will make a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. What's he referring to? What is this great sin C.S. Lewis writes about in this powerful book? The great sin is pride. Pride. And maybe you think calling pride the great sin is a little bit Dramatic, But if you were to ask many respected teachers and preachers of the word, and if you were to study the Bible out for yourself, I believe you will come to the conclusion that that is not a dramatic thing to say whatsoever. Pride is, in fact, the great sin. Pride is what cast Satan out of heaven. Pride is what caused Adam and Eve to partake of the apple. Pride. Pride is what removed the anointing from King Saul, the first king of Israel. It was pride. Pride is the sin that leads to every other sin. Pride is the sin that leads to every other sin. And pride is a complete anti-God, anti-God state of mind. And God absolutely detests pride. He detests it. Let's look to a few passages, uh, just a precursor to this message. Proverbs 16, 5. This is what the word says. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord, 
Be assured, he will not go unpunished. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Psalms 138, verse 6 says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Ouch. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. God detests pride. Tonight we're going to get into Luke 18, 9 through 14, a parable of Jesus. Let's go ahead and go there. Luke 18, 9 through 14, don't want to keep you too long tonight. The simple title of this message, the, the whole central theme, the big idea, we're just going to talk about pride. Say pride. 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 Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus makes it very clear, this passage makes it very clear in verse 9, who Jesus is talking to here. This was a group of people who had a huge pride issue. They had an anti-God state of mind, and these people would have in fact said that God, the God we talk about, the Christian God, was their God, but the truth was, in fact, he was not their God. The God that they served was themselves, even if they gave that God another name. Pride keeps you from ever knowing God and serving God. Some people never even darken the steps of the church because they don't think they need God. They think they're just fine on their own. There are some people that come to church and believe that they are serving God, but if you were to really analyze their life, the truth is they're not serving God at all. They're just merely serving religion. They're just merely trying to be righteous in and of themselves, and they treat church like a checkbox. It's just like... It's another thing on my righteous box that makes me righteous. If that's you, if you live that way, and really if you were to examine your life, your God is yourself, no wonder you're so dissatisfied. People wonder why they're so dissatisfied. Maybe they're not really serving God at all. Maybe... They're just serving their self or they're serving religion. And they wonder why 
their kids aren't interested in church, it's, it's maybe because they haven't really showed their kids God at all. Maybe it's just religion they've been serving. Maybe it wasn't even God at all. And they wonder why. Pride also takes you away from God. To know God is to be reborn. To be reborn, you must be convicted of the Holy Spirit. That is the first step. You cannot know God unless you are convicted by the Holy Spirit, which is to see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior. So in the beginning, we have to begin with a humble walk. Our beginnings must be humble. There is no other way. But what often happens is somewhere along the way, our beginnings, we, we leave those things behind and we become full of pride. Because as we begin to spend time with God and spend time in Scripture, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. But at some point, we stop comparing ourselves to Jesus and we begin to compare ourselves to other people. And that becomes our righteousness stick. We leave our humble beginnings. We get so full of pride and we begin to be just like this Pharisee in Luke 18. If we were to focus on Jesus, we would see just how dirty we are. And maybe you're here and you've already checked out. That's, that's cool. But I just want you to know something. If you are here tonight and you're saying you don't have a pride problem and you say you're humble, just listen to what C.S. Lewis said. Don't take it from me. Take it from him. He's smarter than me. If you would like to acquire humility, the first step is to realize you are proud. If you think you aren't proud, it means you are very proud indeed. So let's get into this. Three things. Pulling out three things out of this passage. And there's more, but three main things. Three main ideas. Are you ready? You guys acting dead. I'm about to start screaming. Let's go. Number one. Thank you. We got one person excited. Number one. The prideful are self-righteous. The humble understand who their righteousness comes from. The prideful are self-righteous. The humble understand who their righteousness comes from. The Pharisee made a huge mistake. He, for some reason, thought that God was impressed with him. He paid a lot of tithes. He fasted twice a week, which was not required by the law. It was above and beyond, so he was bragging about it. And then he said, I'm also righteous because of what I don't do. I'm not an extortioner. I don't blackmail people. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm faithful to you, God. He thought God was impressed with him. How absolutely ridiculous is that? Be set free tonight. This is a beautiful thing. God is not impressed with you. You don't impress God. You don't impress God. God doesn't look down at heaven at me and say, hey, there's Zach Bogus. Oh my goodness, would you look at this? I'm impressed. He's doing good things. He pays his tithes. He goes to church. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't vape. He doesn't smoke tacky. He doesn't drink. Look at him. He's doing great. A plus, Zach. A plus, plus, plus. No, 
No, no, no, no, no. No. God's not impressed by you. He's not impressed by me. Psalm 145, 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good. Not even one. Romans 3, 10 and 12 says the same thing. Quote Psalm 145. Read the whole chapter. Go read it. Go read the whole book of Romans. Romans 3, 10 through 12. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. No, one. There's no man who has ever lived that God has been impressed with. And what I mean by that is he looks at them and he says, that that is one righteous guy. That is one person who's really got it figured out. No one. Thanks be to God that he had a plan. Thanks be to God that he had a plan. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, we quote it. And when you quote something and you read something so much, you might get a little numb to it. But listen to what it says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says this. I'm going to read the whole thing. This is preaching for itself. I need not add anything. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, knowing the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. We all once lived. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. One man impressed God. The son of man. The son of man. I wasn't good enough. Somebody needs to shout. I wasn't good enough. You weren't good enough. But he was. Yes. 
Jesus came so that when God looked down on his kids, he didn't see their righteousness. He saw his son's righteousness. That's why Jesus came. That's one of the reasons he came. Because we stink and he doesn't. The gospel is simple. We stink, he doesn't. The Pharisee was trying to follow his own righteousness plan. He didn't understand who he was and he didn't understand who God is. But the tax collector, that guy, he come to a realization. He understood who God was and who he was. I love it. Luke 18. Just, just go read it. Read it again. We'll be talking about it the rest of the night. But read it for yourself again when, and get in a quiet place and just read it. It says he wouldn't even lift his head. He wouldn't lift his head towards heaven. He beat his breast. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of contrition. Excuse me. It's a sign of remorse. He knew who he was. He knew that without God, he was just a sinner. He knew he had royally messed up, but he also knew who God was and that he was a mercy giver and he was full of grace and he was ready to forgive them. Church, humility is a place that we must abide in. That must be where we exist. As I said in a sermon a few weeks ago, our humility should always be increasing. Not decreasing. If your humility is decreasing, then you are serving a God other than the God of the universe. The closer you get to God, the stronger and more powerful your view of God becomes. And you, as you begin to understand just how great and how powerful he is. And you begin to see who you really are. And how unrighteous without him you really are. The humbler you become. Sidebar. Sidebar. You ever seen someone who carries a, a really heavy anointing? You ever seen someone like that? Anybody? Man, it's quiet in here. About to start yelling again. How'd they get that anointing? They're more dead to their pride than you are. All we really need to do is get out of God's way. Anointed people, they get out of God's way. I don't know about you. But man, I want to get out of his way. I want to get out of his way in my life. I want to die to more myself. I want to be more humble because I'm not there yet. I so bad. Some of y'all ain't getting it. I'm, I so bad want to get out of his way. If we would come into church humbly, ready to get out of God's way, ready to throw out our agendas, what would God do? What would He do? 
Let's keep moving. Luke 18, 9. He said he was speaking to those who thought they were righteous. And these people that treated other people with contempt. Contempt. Pride causes us to treat others with contempt. Humility replaces contempt with compassion. I'll say that again. Our pride, this is main point number two, our pride causes us to treat others with contempt. Humility replaces our contempt with compassion. What is contempt? When you are contempt toward other people, you look at other people as being beneath you. You disregard people. You disrespect them. If you're a full contempt, you lack concern for others. You lack sympathy and you lack interest for other people. Have you ever been treated with contempt? Have you ever walked into a really nice restaurant and you're just underdressed? You didn't realize it was one of those places. And you just felt like everybody when you walked in was like, what are they doing here? They pulled up in like an 89 Silverado, which was my first truck, you know, with all the paint just flying off of it, but it had dual exhaust. You know what I'm saying? Pulling the parking lot, they're like, what's that guy doing here? That ever happened to you? Maybe when you were a kid or younger or however old you were, maybe you asked someone out and they thought that they were out of your league. How'd that go for you? How'd that feel? Have you ever treated someone who doesn't know God with contempt? I have. I'll speak for myself. Even at church. You ever looked at someone and say, well, look who decided to stroll in today. You ever done that? I can't believe they're here. And it's a good thing they're here. And you're listening to the sermon and you're thinking, man, that's for them today. It ain't for me, but that's for them. You ever done that? There was a, a, a pastor who was preaching. He was preaching his heart out. All these different people began to clap and he said, quit clapping. I'm talking about you. How often we do that? We're clapping saying, man, I hope you're getting this. And God's looking at you saying, bud, you don't get it at all. Ouch. The tax collector was right where he belonged. He was where he was supposed to be. He belonged there. He was not out of place. That's where he belonged. But the Pharisee looked at him with contempt. Like he had no business being there. Looking down at a sinner for being in the house of God is like looking down at an overweight person who walks into a gym. Absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. A gym is where an overweight person belongs, and that's where I'm heading again. I'm going back Tuesday. Hold me to it. I had a kid and I got fat again. Fatter, excuse me. It's where an overweight person belongs. It's where anybody really belongs.
Church is a great place for a sinner to be. It's where they begin their journey. They can begin their journey to following Jesus. And they can continue that journey. What about outside the church? When you're at Walmart. When you're at work. When you're on Facebook. You look at them and say, can you believe, you're talking to your spouse, can you believe what they did? Did you see what's in their cart? You ever done that? Did you hear what they said? Did you hear who they voted for? There are only two groups of people on the earth. There are sons of the devil and sons of God. And if you are a son of God, you used to be a son of the devil. It's true. You're like, I know I wasn't. Yes, you were, sir. Yes, you were, ma'am. You used to be a son of the devil. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. You are either an enemy of God or you are a saint because of Jesus. That used to be you. Instead of looking at others with contempt, which I have been guilty of myself, we should look at others and have compassion because that used to be us. That used to be us. That Pharisee didn't get it. He didn't get it. He, he wasn't righteous anyway, but when you know God and, and, and someone walks in, you see someone that is living in sin, someone who is a son of the devil, you should not have contempt towards them, but compassion. Compassion is to recognize the suffering of others and not only to recognize it, but to take action to help. Because often Christians, and this is a sermon in and of itself, Christians mistake compassion with just getting really worked up about seeing a sinner. And you, you have your little cry pity party to make yourself feel better that they're a sinner, but you don't ever take action to speak and to love and to minister to them. There'll be people, walk, I'm going to tell them myself, there'll be people walking down the street and, and I, I, there's that fight in you. Do I need to pick this person up? Do I need to talk to them? And this is just an example. The other day this happened, someone was walking. I don't even like telling this story. Someone was walking through the snow and I didn't turn around to pick them up. And I got home and I was like, what am I doing? And I had my little cry pity party. Like, Lord, I'm so sorry. And it's like, what good is that? All this is doing is trying to make me feel better. Compassion sparks action. When you look at Jesus, when he saw a sinner, compassion. Read the four Gospels time and time again. Well, how does it describe the way Jesus treated sinners, the way he looked at them? The Bible says he looked at them and had compassion for them. Compassion. If anyone had a right to have contempt, it was Jesus. But he didn't. Instead, he had compassion. 
Who do we think we are? Who do I think I am? Mark 2, 13 and 17. He went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to them, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at his table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In Mark 2, Luke 18, Jesus was speaking to the same kind of people, and he was trying to get them to understand the same thing, that they were sick. But they were so busy looking down on sinners that they couldn't see that them, they themselves were sick. Jesus was saying, the truth of the matter is we're all sick. And we all need a Savior. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's a song, and I'm going to quote it. And it's from my... Favorite songwriter, his name's John Foreman. You can go look it up for yourself. Listen to his music. It's incredible. This is what it says. There's a park downtown where the homeless get ignored, where the church next door is a crowd singing, Blessed are the poor, where the Mercedes drive away muttering, Druggies, drunks, and prostitutes, where the bumper sticker displays, My co-pilot is the Lord. Let that not be me. Let that not be me. Let that not be us. I don't want to ever lose sight of the fact that I used to be a sinner. And that used to be me. Let's keep moving on. I'm losing you. Number three. Shortest point of the night. Number three. Pride numbs conviction. Pride numbs conviction. Pride numbs conviction. Luke 18, Mark 2. These, these Pharisees are rubbing shoulders with Jesus. They're rubbing shoulders with him. Jesus carried a presence. You weren't just speaking with a man. You were speaking with the Son of Man, a fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus was trying to open these people's eyes to the fact that their pride was getting in the way. He was trying to show them. Because he understood, and the Bible resounds the fact, that to be saved, you must first lay down your pride. Pride gets in the way. Pride numbs conviction. Because pride causes us to be numb to the presence of God. That's what pride does. What a terrible place to be, to be so full of ourselves, to be so full of pride, that we shut ourselves off from God's presence. 
This tax collector in this passage, he wasn't numb. He was in the temple and he was broken. He had laid his pride down. And he stood convicted in the presence of God. In that same chapter, the great sin, C.S. Lewis says this, The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or you see yourself as a small, dirty object. It is better to forget yourself it is better to forget about yourself altogether. The real test, I'll read it again, of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or you see yourself as a small, dirty object. It is better to forget about yourself altogether. When is the last time that happened to you? When's the last time you allowed yourself to get caught up in God's presence? When is the last time that God visited you and you became convicted. When was the last time? Are you so full of pride you become numb to conviction? I've been a youth pastor for five and a half years, and there's something I notice, and that is this. And just being in here on a Sunday and just dealing with people, men have a real issue with pride. I can speak for that. I'm a man. And as I watch students respond to the word of God, and as I watch people respond to the word of God, it appalls me how many more women respond than men. And I, I sit and I, I try to look, and I, I, I try to say, Lord, what, what's the deal? Why does it seem that so many students that are male just struggle with Surrender. They struggle with responding to you and your presence. It's pride. There's a reason that more women come around the altar on a Sunday to praise God than men. It's pride. It's pride. Men, we're nothing without Jesus. We're nothing. We're nothing. Why did I say that? Because I felt led to say that and to just hope that you understand that just because you're the man of the house doesn't mean you're a real man. It doesn't mean you're the man and you are nothing without Jesus. This morning, if you were here, I... I was supposed to be doing the offering this morning and the declaration and the Spirit of God hit me and I, the, the pride in me wanted to resist because that's not what I was supposed to do and that's not what you do when you take up the offering and that's, that's not what you do. We're so, this is a sidebar, I just feel led to share, but men... And women too. Stop being afraid of what's going to happen when you get into God's presence and let him take over. We're so, yeah, we're so full of pride. We're so worried about what we're going to look like. I can't dance. I know that. But I don't care. But, but what, what happens is we allow our pride to hold us back from engaging in God's presence because we think, I'm doing mighty fine just sitting right here. I can speak to it because I've done it.
In closing, the prideful are self-righteous and the humble understand who their righteousness comes from. Pride causes us to treat people with contempt, but humility replaces our contempt with compassion and pride numbs conviction. If you would like to acquire humility, the first step is to realize you are proud. And if you think you aren't proud, it means you are very proud indeed. These altars are always open. They are not mine to open. They are God's. But tonight, I just want to invite you, because I'll be there too, is to come and repent of your pride. Come repent of it. Every day, almost every day, I don't want to say every day and be a liar. One thing I pray is, God, I pray that I would die to myself. I would die to my pride and I would be and live humbly. Let that be our attitude. Because God exalts the humble. He exalts the humble. That's what he does. Let us pray. I'm going to pray, and then these altars are already open. You can go ahead and make your way here. But let us pray, and I'm going to take the time to talk to my father.